Welcome to another episode of From Concept to Company with your hosts, Ashley and Autumn. On this show, we dive in deep with current and aspiring entrepreneurs to learn about their pain points, things they wish they knew before they started, and their successes to date. This week, we are excited to have Michael Sartain, retired U.S. military officer who currently MCs for over six charities and is a portfolio manager at a hedge fund. That was great. I feel so flattered. That was incredible. Excellent. We're so excited to have you sitting across the podcast table from us today. You've had some amazing accomplishments over your career. Um, Just for all of our listeners that don't know about your past history, tell us a little bit about your very first job even and how you got (laughs) to where you're sitting at this podcast table. It's it's interesting. So I was... um, in high school, I like to talk a lot, right? I was a debate champion and um, I got offers to go to some really, really nice schools. I ended up going to Texas, which to me is the nicest school in the country. Um, and um, I was gonna go pre-law. And uh, one day I went into astronomy class and uh, I realized that I love astrophysics. So all my minor, all my electives in college were astrophysics classes. And one of the weird things is, so now I, I work at a hedge fund. And if you read, uh, you guys don't know who Charlie Munger is? He is the, uh, he's the partner of Warren Buffett, you oh, know, wow. from Berkshire Hathaway. And then, uh, there's, um, this guy, he's a Nobel laureate named, um, uh, Fisher Black. And then the most successful hedge fund manager in the world is named Jim Simons. And all of them come from mathematics backgrounds. They don't come from finance backgrounds. So I kind of got into finance because of that. Uh, I thought that was a really interesting, I, I don't have a finance background and I, and I manage a hedge fund. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of a different kind of different thing. I speak at kind of a different lingo, but for me, the question you were asking before, uh, I graduated from Texas and then nine 11 happened. Oh. Uh, and then, uh, there were no jobs, uh, you know, Enron and MCI Worldcom went out of business. I'd graduated, that kind of dates me. I'm pretty old. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there were no jobs when I graduated from Texas with a, uh, an IT degree. That was my major. And, um, I ended up joining the military. Uh, in 2004, it took like, there were so many people trying to join after 9-11 that it took me uh, 14 months to get in wow. as an officer. And I flew a KC-135 as a navigator for seven years. And then I got out and I moved to Las Vegas. And uh, that's where, you know, I started doing all the charity work, which is how I think you guys uh, found me. Yeah, that's how we found you. So you say you ended up in Vegas. What attracted you to Vegas? What brought you out here? So I was, uh, I, I probably was, I was a first lieutenant in the Air Force. Um, yeah, I would have been first lieutenant. And uh, I came out here for the NBA All-Star Game. I think it was 07, probably, because uh, I was friends with one of the guys on TNT, uh, Kenny Smith. And I came out here and I visited. And uh, the weekends were just hectic. I couldn't, just traffic everywhere. It was crazy. It was like being in New York. And then on the weekdays, I, I ended up booking a, a full week here. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> but I remember the weekdays going to like, this clubs are gone now, but Jet and Tangerine and stuff like that. And I just remember how easy things were. Like, I, I just don't think, maybe you guys don't know, uh, I don't know how much you guys go out, but, but for a, a normal guy going out in Los Angeles or New York, it's terrible. Like the people are incredibly rude to you out at the doors or whatever. And I go out in Vegas and everything's fun and it's nice. <laughs> There's places to go. And even if even if the if the hosts don't want to let you in, they say yes to you. They're happy to see you. Nobody's rude to you for being rude. Do you guys remember, you see SLS is turning back into the Sahara. You guys yes, saw that? Yes. Okay, you remember when it turned to the SLS? This is interesting because you guys are talking about all these different business ideas. Uh, we knew when the SLS came here, it wasn't going to work because the they brought their hosts from Los Angeles mm-hmm. here and they ran Life Nightclub. You guys remember Life? Mm-hmm. It lasted maybe six months. Yeah. And they had their very rude, bougie LA vibe 
uh, for the people, for the locals, us locals in Las Vegas, we'd come there like, Hey, you're going to sell tables through us. And they were rude to us. And then I was like, your club is not going to last six months. And sure enough, it's gone now. That's essentially what happened. Um, it's this, it's the same kind of vibe. So, um, you know, I moved here, uh, and I, I just, I love it. It's just so easy. I, I just don't, I can't even compare it to any other, but when I have my friends come here and they visit, they think that all we do, the three of us in this room, cause we live in Las Vegas is we gamble as soon as we wake up, <laughs> we're, we're drinking all day, right? We spend all our nights in strip clubs and we, you know, we're doing drugs. Like, and I, I tell them, no, I, I rescue cats. Uh, I go to the gym seven days a week. And I work at a hedge fund and they're just shocked. And I'm like, but there's no humidity, you know? And I, that's, that's my favorite, my favorite thing about this place, you know, being a a military officer stationed in places like Alabama and Texas. I love the fact that there is no humidity in Las Vegas. I am the, uh, the biggest proponent of this place. So yeah, I, I, I definitely love it here. Very cool. So what did you jump into career wise after the military? What were you doing? So there's two things that happened. Um, I, uh, my father passed away in, uh, 2006 and uh, he was a uh, uh, money manager okay. for several different people. And I was put into this w- strange situation where we, I had finances from him and other family members uh, and the 08 crash happened two years after that, right? Mm-hmm. And so now I'm getting questions because I do have a, a business degree from Texas and I'm getting questions from people about what actually works, what is a safe investment. And I wanted to do some research on it, but I didn't want to do it from a financial standpoint. You guys, I'm sure you go on YouTube, I'm sure you've seen on, um, uh, f- Facebook, I'm sure you've seen on Instagram, people will tell you that, man, that crypto thing scared the shit out of me. Sorry, I don't mean to cuss on your uh, oh, podcast, yeah. <laughs> but, but that crypto <laughs> thing frightened me. I, I'm, I'm there, Blockchain is an am- amazing technology. However, there are 1400 coins on Binance right now. It's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. There's no, there's, if you think 1400 coins are going to make it and of course not. So th- somebody's going to lose here, right? There's a lot of dentists and lawyers who are getting into cryptocurrency. You're going to lose all their money. And it, and it was very frightening to me. So go back to 08, the crash happens and I have family members who are confused about what to do with their money. And there, a lot of them are looking to me because at this point I'm like the, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I'm in the military and I'm, I'm trying to give advice to s- several uh, family members. I read every book I can, everything by Benjamin Graham, uh, Warren Buffett, you guys are uh, like a- anybody who's in finance, you've all read these same books. Right. Um, and then I, I stumble upon these quantitative traders, right? There's two things I find out. Number one, Warren Buffett is the, he sells stock options. Uh, that's one of the, he's one of the biggest stock option sellers in the entire world. And number two, I, I find out that, um, uh, that there's a way to do this mathematically and that, that a lot of people who are guessing which way stocks go up and down, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. right. Uh, and then I, I start, um, uh, you guys know what the Khan Academy is? Yes. Let me recommend that anybody who's listening to this right now, if you have a question, if I, if, if you hear somebody say something and you just expect that, you know about it, like for instance, the debt loop between the Chinese and the United States, how they take our currency and then mm-hmm. they buy our U S treasuries with it to, to keep the, to control the, their, the price of their currency, the one, if you ever want to learn about that, go to the Khan Academy, right? They'll explain it to you really well. I went on there and I learned about how stock options work. And then, um, I, I met these guys who run a stock option trading, uh, brokerage in Chicago and they hired me to help do their marketing. And if you ever go to tastyworks.com, I'm one of the featured traders on there. So whenever I make a trade, it automatically goes to the hundred thousand people that are on there, cool. on their thing. And I just figured out one of the things I figured out was that there are so many people out there that are 
telling you. Uh, no, it's fine. Is that, is that somebody's phone? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I think somebody's. <laughs> it's fine. If you guys can hear this, there's some construction, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's fine. I think it gives more flavor to it. <laughs> but when, if you guys ever, um, if you ever see those, those people, they're trying to sell you. Basically, this is the myth. The holy grail is I want to learn about finance, right? So I need you to teach me how to pick which stock is going to go up and avoid which stock is going to go down. This is the holy grail. This is what people have been selling for 100 years. This is the platform upon which the Great Depression in 1929 happened because people believed that what I just said is possible and it is not possible. Anyone who's listening to this, I'm sorry, technical analysis, fundamental analysis, it doesn't work. And that's the problem is that the human mind wants to take chaos and turn it into something orderly. So what happens is everyone believes I don't know how to trade stocks, but somebody does. Mm -hmm. And there's these commercials that you see during NFL games where there's these old men who like from T. Rowe Price and, 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 you know, whatever, you know, TD Ameritrade, and they're telling you, we know how to invest your money. They don't know any more than you do. It is random. It is absolutely random. So what, what uh, these guys taught me how to do was I basically sell insurance on other people's stock portfolio. So if let, let's say for instance, uh, you had a million dollars in uh, Microsoft and um, you wanted to insure that because you thought that maybe they were doing something illegal or whatever, but you didn't want to sell your Microsoft shares because it would be, create a taxable event. You would buy what are called put options and those put options would protect you from however, like, let's just say Microsoft was going to go from a million dollars and then you were going to end up with $500,000. You're going to lose 50% of the value. If you bought a put options at the money, those put options would be worth the $500,000 you lost. Exactly like your insurance policy would end up being worth the, the price of your home if your home burned down. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then, and then what you could do is, you know, the more deductible you have to pay, the lower your premium is. Stock options are exactly the same way. So if, if you, if you uh, go at, instead of $100 a share, you start protecting them at $80 a share, well, you have to pay less in premium. I'm the guy who sells those insurance policies. Does that make sense? Yeah. I do that about 7,000 times a year. I have six different accounts I do that in. So when, when I say I work at a hedge fund, I specifically work at a hedge fund where we sell insurance contracts on other people's portfolio. Does that make okay. sense? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's basically how, how it works for me. The math works. Just like when I was in the military and I was flying airplanes, uh, we had to meet, uh, I was a refueler. So we would have one airplane in the air and then a B-52 would come up behind us and we would give them 60,000 pounds of gas while we're flying in the air. That, so that's math, right? If train A leaves from this spot at this time and train B leaves at this spot, this spot what, at what point do they meet? For me, it's like if KC-135 is going 600 miles an hour over Fallujah and B-52 B is going 450 uh, miles an hour over, you know, whatever, Ramadi, then how do we get them to meet? How long does it take for them to meet? Whatever. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so that's the math I did. And then when I got out of the military, I took that same sort of mathematical model that quick thinking, it's quick executing math. And I used it in a finance uh, capacity to, oh. to get my new job. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Very yeah. Cool. connected those two. Yeah. yeah. So you've been doing that, sorry, for how long? Five years. Okay. Five. So uh, initially it was just for me. Uh -huh. uh, then I showed my returns to my friends. Uh, it's a family members. They're like, we want you to manage all our money. So I, I started doing that for friends and family. I had six clients. Okay. And then um, what happened was I let, I, I'm very, like I would show you guys right now. I let people audit my returns. I have no question because I actually did, I'm making about 30% this year. Okay, cool. And I, I would show them my returns and they'd be like, oh, this is incredible. Like, you're not trying to hide it. You're not trying to sell us anything. And I was like, listen, if you want to do this, you know, I'll, I'll even teach you how to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then a hedge fund found out about me and then they, they talked to the company that I, I do marketing for, Tasty Trade. Okay. And then they hired me from there. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Yeah, 
That's awesome. And then you have some other things going on right now. You work for, work with some charities. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that. So uh, just, just back up a little bit. Uh, you guys have read the book, The One Thing by Gary Keller. Have you ever heard of that book? Keller Williams Realty, okay. the guy Gary Keller, he stopped that. He wrote a book called The One Thing. Basically, the idea is you focus on one thing. You wake up every morning, you focus on the one thing that you want to get better at. That's it. You just focus on one thing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then uh, because multitasking is kind of a myth, there's there's some scientific studies that show that if you try to do two things, you're going to have 50% effectiveness. You do one thing, you'll have 110% effectiveness, right? Something right. like that. There's another book called The Four Hour Work Week. You guys are aware with oh, that yes. with Sam Ferris, right? <laughs> I, 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 check, I check my email once, twice a day, period. I have checklists for this. I had several uh, alarms set. Like everything for me is set. Uh, there's a checklist, uh, just like when I fly an airplane, there's a checklist before I take off. There's a checklist for me every day and I do the things that are on there. And, and the one thing I'm trying to accomplish that goes at the top of the checklist. And then we we go through the day and I make sure everything like that gets accomplished. It's, it's saved me mass. I actually have way more free time now that I do more because of those two books. There's a third book called Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willick. You guys know Jocko Willick is the Navy SEAL. Uh, he's a former Navy SEAL who bought in the, uh, uh, fought in the Battle of Ramadi in, I think, 06, 07, I can't remember. And he wrote two books about how good effective leadership works and how ineffective leadership works and how people are sometimes codependent and sometimes people are, uh, you know, really, really good leaders and take responsibility for everything. Those three books kind of made it to where, okay, I'm going to take it. I'm going to do this hedge fund thing. The markets closes at one. And then afterwards, I'm going to focus on how, since I have this free time, because that's the great thing about finance, you can't really take it home with you. When the markets close, I can't really do anything else, right? Yeah. So I, I, I have a, a job where I, I, it's like being a firefighter. 90% of the time you're not, do, or, or like flying an airplane. 90% of the time I'm flying straight and level and it's very easy. I could teach you guys how to sell stock options, it's very easy. The problem is when the fire starts, what do you do? How do you take care of it? The problem is when you're pl flying an airplane and your engine goes out, mm -hmm. right? If you ever guys ever learn how to play, uh, how to fly an airplane, 90% of your instruction is gonna be when your engine goes out, how do you find an emergency airfield and how do you land? Does that make sense? 10% yeah. of your instruction is going to be flying the airplane straight and level, which is 90% of what you'll actually be doing when you fly the airplane. Selling stock options the exact same way selling insurance contracts the same way everything is straight easy normal most people's houses don't burn down and then you have that thing that happened in calabasas where mm -hmm. all those houses end up burning down and then like yeah. what do you do in those situations you sell the contracts to reinsurers i'm sorry i went off on a real no, far tangent not. we a love it a lot, lot, love lot it. of caffeine here sorry <laughs> no tangents are great um right so so you guys understand that so for me it's like the i, I picked a job where i can do it from home and it's not it's hugely time consuming, but when I have to kick, kick into action, I know exactly what to do. I know how to put out the fire, right? So that leaves me time to do another thing. So for me, I try to find the most effective way to raise money for these different charities that I, that I believe in. I met a guy, his name is Steve Fowler. He runs a, a charity called Babes in Toyland in Los Angeles. And what they do uh, unapologetically, they find extremely attractive models, playboy models, maxim models, whatever, and they get them to bring guys to a venue and get them to spend money on uh, different things. Like we, we even say it when I'm up on stage, I'm like, we are here to get you, open up your checkbook, gentlemen, blah, 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 whatever. So like uh, I, on Wednesday, we just did one for the Midnight Mission, which is homeless shelter in Los Angeles. Uh, on the 23rd of November here in Las Vegas, the first time we ever done one in Las Vegas, we did it for the Shade Tree, which is a domestic abuse shelter up in North Vegas. We gave them about one ton of toys. Wow because there's 80 children staying at the shade tree. People don't know that. Mm. There's also a kennel there where they, they take care of animals. And then we had several different people donate 10, 20 grand to, uh, to the shade tree to, to give them money. Um, and throughout the year, we, we intend on continuing to help them because 
what they do there is fantastic, right? So uh, there's one we're doing in March, which is for the Downtown Dog Rescue in Los Angeles. Uh, there's another Babes in Toyland. There's another one that we're going to be doing in July, which is for um, uh, for the troops.org, where we send care, care packages to troops overseas, right? So here's the thing. I've tried this a lot of different ways. What I found is that when my friend, Lindsay Palos, who has 9 million followers, when she goes off and just says anything about my charity, 100,000 views, 10, 20, $30,000. When I try to do it any other way, like I'm just, I'm just operating with the tools I have here. When I, I have found that that is absolutely the most effective way for us to raise money. So what, I, what I've done since then, we're doing one on Monday's Dark. You guys know what Monday's Dark is? They're a charity here in Los Angeles, or Las Vegas. They've raised a million dollars over the last uh, six years. They're gonna do their six year gala on Monday and they've asked me to bring a bunch of influencers. So I'm finding you know, uh, you know, know, some performers and uh, a bunch of models to come. They're gonna spread the word about it and then people are gonna be able to donate to Monday's Dark. I've just found this to be a, uh, incredibly effective. So that's the other thing I do is I emcee these charities, Babes in Toyland, Smash Global. Uh, there's one called Face Forward LA where they do uh, reconstructive surgery to victims of domestic abuse. Oh, wow, uh, it's a surgeon, he's actually wow. a plastic surgeon who, who runs it. Uh, and then I, I do one for uh, the Model Citizen Fund, which is a really great charity. They, they create backpacks and they hand the backpacks out to pe homeless people in Los Angeles. And the backpacks have food, like they have things that would sustain you for like a week or two, stuff like that, like really, really practical stuff. And instead of the money donation, they're handing you the backpack, right? Mm -hmm. So you get the backpack and the backpack has some shelter in it and it has, and it's a, you know, it's not a solution to the problem, but they do this for orphanages in Africa. They do this for the homeless in Los Angeles and, and a bunch of stuff like that. So, and then the, the anti-bullying charity is called Smash Global and I'm gonna be doing that on the 19th. It's six MMA fights. I think it's like $500 a ticket. That, that's like the, the bougiest thing that I do. Uh, I can't even afford to go to my own event. Like the, uh, and uh, that one is, um, is in Los Angeles at the Taglian Cultural Complex. Um, and that one is a, a great charity because a lot of the MMA fighters got into MMA because they were bullied. Right. And they all come up there and they talk about it and they, and they kind of spread awareness to stuff like that. So for me, like I said, the one thing for finance, I try to get really good at quantitative trading. I, I, I sell stock options. And then I spend the rest of the day focusing just on this one thing where people hire me to come out. Well, they don't hire me. If it's a charity, I do it for free. The, uh, they have me come out and then do the charity work. The reason why I got this job, and this might be a, something for your listeners who want to get into any kind of field, is that I moved the free line. Do you guys remember Eben Pagan? the guy who created the squeeze page, you know, those annoying squeeze pages you go to and they're like, Hey, just leave your email if you want to do whatever. Right? right. That was run. That was created by a guy named Eben Pagan and Eben, he would talk about moving the free line. You'd give your best stuff away for free to get people to come in. Right. right. So there's a lot of people have Patreons where they have their regular um, podcast and then they have their Patreon podcast. Right. Mm -hmm. They'll do stuff like that, but their, their best stuff is generally on their, their main podcast. And it's just like this, they'll give away a lot of software that I use. Um, the, the, free, the best stuff is actually in the free part, but if you want the extra stuff, then you just, you know, you just pay a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I did. I would show up with my own camera crew, my own lighting, my own audio. I was just, before we started this podcast, I was talking to you guys about, we, we, we run around with two A7Ss, uh, lavaliers. I just bought the, the new Sennheiser uh, handheld microphone, the wireless one, it's incredible. Um, and then, uh, I, I use a drone and I, like, I, I always ask people, do you think Ryan Seacrest does his own lighting? Do you think he does his own audio attuning? Like I, I edit the audio. I do every, I, I would show up and do everything myself. Oh, 
Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I would be this, I would show, basically I would tell my crew, my video crew, I, we'd show up and they would hire some crew. Sometimes there'd be like a Netflix documentary crew at some of the charity events that we would go to. And mm -hmm. I said, you see those guys, like be nice to them, but we're here to embarrass them. We're <laughs> here to do a better job for free for this charity than mm -hmm. anyone in the world could ever do. So you're gonna be professionals. We're gonna get better footage than anyone. We're gonna edit it. We're gonna give it to them on Dropbox faster than anyone. We're gonna give all the people on the red carpet their photos immediately the next day. We're gonna be more professional and faster and better than everyone else. And then I'm gonna do these interviews better than, ev than, than, the, than the guy they hired, the Mario Lopez, whoever they hired. I'm gonna do a better job than any of them. I'm gonna do it for free and I'm gonna ask for nothing in return. I'm gonna do this over and over again. And now I, I'll tell you in this situation over the last five years of doing what I just said, mm -hmm. I have to turn down work now. I have to turn, I can't, I, there's not enough time for me. I just had to turn down a party I, I was supposed to host on the 14th. I, I don't have enough time to do all the things that I get invited to do now because I moved the free line and I was willing to do an, un, like tremendous amounts of work and ask for nothing in return. Does that make sense? Yep. I did that over and over again. And the way I, again, the way, why, how can I do that? How can I, I don't, man, I don't have time to do stuff like that. Again, the one thing by Gary Keller, that book changed my life. It gave, it gave me a bunch of free time. The other thing was, um, like I said, the four hour work week and, uh, the extreme ownership by Jocko Willick. Those books really helped me to become very, very focused. Like you guys should see, like you guys, Action Mavens is literally on my checklist right here. Like, and, and there's a schedule. I have two alarms set one hour and 15 minutes before I showed up here. Everything is organized, um, you know, so I can just relax during the day and I know the alarms are gonna go off and I'll know when to be where or whatever. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm, re I'm really caffeinated right now. Just <laughs> should let your listeners know. Yeah, very, very, our, very, very caffeinated. All of our listeners know that we've got our, our fun little cups that we have but um, pre-caffeine before the event leads to quite a bit of caffeine. Yes, the podcast. love caffeine, man. <laughs> Caffeine's great. I know, I can't live without it. I recently actually just got off of energy drinks. I was addicted to those bang energy drinks. Oh uh, man, they're, they're rough. They're rough. I Beat read, you up. Yeah, I read an article about how they supposedly increase your stroke risk by 500%. Well, I, I, it, that wasn't even the issue for me, but that is true. The other problem is the renal problem. So what happens is um, you, you, the, the, it isn't just the caffeine. The caffeine causes your heart rate to go up, but then right. you get excited, you start talking, you get adrenaline, yeah. right? Then you'll get adrenaline fatigue and you'll start producing cortisol and you'll start having the you start having the, the products of adrenaline fatigue, right? You're just, I gotta get really excited to go do this thing. And I and it's just, it's an adrenaline rush. Right. Well, you don't know if, if anybody out there, if you guys ever play basketball or football or whatever, you sprain your ankle, you just don't even feel it because the adrenaline rush, right. it's a painkiller. It's an anesthetic, you're just ready to go. You're crazy, like you just wanna have a good time, but you gotta pay for it at some point. Yeah. Your body ends up paying for it at some point. I'm 42 years old. I play basketball seven days a week. I pet, man, when I'm out there hooping, I feel like I'm 18, it's wonderful, <laughs> I'm stretching. You know, I, I can almost do the splits. You know, I'm out there playing. The, afterwards, adrenaline comes down. You know, the caffeine wears off. Man, I want to die. I'm just on my couch. I can't even move my legs. You end up paying for it in the end. So that's, yeah. the, that's the problem with the Bang Energy drinks. Like, I, I, I manage my caffeine. I take 50 milligrams before I go out, like maybe an hour before I go out. I Bang Energy is like 400 milligrams. Coffee from uh, Starbucks is 400 milligrams. Yerba Mate is which is really great. It's a herbal tea. It's uh, 150 milligrams. I just, I just manage everything that I do. Very cool. Yeah, so you you have your own personal daily checklist. Is that something that you've always done or is that something you kind of discovered along the way after reading all these books? Um, there's a book called um, Flow by Mihai Chesesmihai and he talks about um, uh, uh, purpose. What is it called? Hold on, let me see. Well, give me one second. Sure. Clarity of Goals. He talks about clarity of goals. That's actually the name of my checklist. It's called Clarity of Goals. Oh, very cool. um, and he talks about when you have the clarity and then you you do these things, it, like you'll be surprised, man. We are all looking for this one truth 
and we read all these different books and we end up finding it's the same truth. If you read The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck and you read by Mark Manson mm -hmm. and you read The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, you find out they're the same book. It's just one of them has more cuss words in it, right? <laughs> you find, you've, you read you read about Gautama Buddha 2,500 years ago and then you read, you know, something like uh, the, 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 who stole my cheese, yeah. who moved my cheese, you find out it, they're the same book. They're actually the same book. You just didn't know, you didn't realize. If you read any of these, like uh, Never Eat Alone, but then you go back and you read How to Meet Friends and Influence People, you find out they're the same book. But you don't wanna believe they're the same book. You wanna think that the new thing is out there and somebody's gonna discover it. No, if, man, if you listen to Ty Lopez or if you listen to Grant Cardone or you listen to any of those guys, you're gonna find that they were saying the same things that Zig Ziglar and, um, and Dale Carnegie were saying, you know, 70, 80 years ago. Mm -hmm. So that that's the thing. You just kind of end up finding that one truth. So, so you know, to your point, it, it's I, I found that I, I never make these things about me. I always focus on one thing at a time, and I can just get a ton accomplished, you know, that way. We got quite the book list for our readers. Right? Yes, we do. Oh, by the way, uh, <laughs> if you guys want to go to if you go to michaelsartain.com forward slash books, there every book I mentioned is up there. Oh, like I like cool. 255 Fantastic. books that I that I like. I, I still got to update it, man. I got 10 more books. <laughs> I'll tell you one other thing, um, biggest, biggest life changer for me. When I was in the military, um, I, there were a lot of long flights that we took. Mm. So a lot of, I have to use my hands, I have to use my eyes, but if you're in the airplane, you know it's loud as hell. It's not like going on Delta. It's not, it's not a, a insulated airplane. It's cold and it's loud. And uh, so I would listen to audiobooks. That's when I got into audiobooks when I was in the military. Oh. And I, I said, hey man, let me see what happens if I go 1.25 speed. And I was like, all right, let me see what happens when I go 1.5. I was, this sounds normal. All right, let me go. Let me go two point. <laughs> let me go two point oh. You guys can hear. You guys. Hear, you guys hear how fast I'm talking now. Yeah. Oh, let, let me. Let me try two point oh. Oh, two point oh. Yeah. No, it sounds normal. And then I go back to 1.75. I was like, man, this sounds slow. All right, let me try 2.5. Depending on the reader, 2.5. That's not. You know what? I can deal with 2.5. Then I try 3.0. Oh man. Next thing I know, I'm, I'm through 60 audiobooks in a year. I'm, going, I'm out there flying missions. I'm out there making, uh, I used to drive from um, Warner Robins to Atlanta. And when I was stationed in Wichita, I would drive from Wichita to Dallas to six hours. Six hours, that's at triple speed. That's an 18 hour book. I can get through one book in a day. On the drive back, I get through another book. Wow. Next thing I know, 65 books in a year. I'm just flying through them. And I, was t I would take retention tests afterwards to see, hey, do I, am I really re remembering this stuff? Not only am I remembering it, I'm remembering it better than if I had read it with my eyes because my, my brain just works, you know, from an audit, uh, auditory standpoint. So I would listen to these audiobooks at triple speed. This podcast that I'm gonna listen to myself talk, I guarantee you when I listen to this, I'll be listening to it at double speed. Yeah. I guarantee you, because that's, that's the way I, I consume media. So again, the one thing, like there's this, uh, there's this clarity of goals. I know that for me, it's just like, if you see these people play speed chess, they're still good at chess, even though they're doing it faster. You can train yourself to do certain things faster. Right. It's like you can train yourself to speak Spanish or you can train yourself to run, you know, something, you know, to run the hundred yard dash faster, whatever. The, the, the same thing here, you can train yourself to listen to audio quicker. So I listen to podcasts and YouTube videos at double speed. Mm -hmm. Then it got crazy. I started watching TV shows at double speed. People can't watch TV. You know, if you go to the VLC player, I started watching TV shows at, at double speed. I started watching oh. movies at double speed. Oh, and it gosh. seems normal. My brain, it seems normal. Yeah. And I'm just flying through all this data. And then people come and they do interviews with me. And they're like, oh, I can't believe you talk about all this stuff. How do you have time to do that? And, I'm, and I explained to them, that's how I have time. Right. The triple speed audiobooks and the double speed podcast, I, definitely the number one thing that helped me as far as productivity. Because people would mention a book to me and I'd be like, and then they'd see me again 
and a couple days later, and they'll be like, oh yeah, that book you mentioned. Yeah, I'm done. And they're like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I just I finished it. I just finished it on the way home, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they're shocked. They're like, I did the interview with one this one guy who has his own book club, and I read the first 30 books in his book club, and I did an interview with him, and he's just breath, like, he's <laughs> stunned. He's like, you actually read all 30 of these books? Like, yeah, it wasn't difficult at all. Like, I just went through your book list, and I bought them on Audible, and just went through them at triple speed. Yeah. And so that, that my whole thing is just figuring out different ways to be productive. And I, I'll be honest with you guys, I don't, I'm not, you know, super busy eight hours a day. I figured out ways to figure out the things I really want to accomplish. And I only do those things. Yeah. Right. And so it's just made, it just made my life a lot simpler. So for me, it's like, I don't want to go to clubs and drink alcohol and sit there for five hours and we have boring. a comp dinner and we're going to blah, blah, blah. I don't want to do that. I want to do a charity event yeah. where all my friends are going to fly into town. And you know what? You know what else is awesome about my charity event that we're going to do that we did in Las Vegas? The hotel is going to give 60 of my friends free hotel rooms. You know what else? The sponsor is going to give them gift bags. Mm -hmm. Now, instead of me going to travel to see my friends or wait, now all of my friends mm -hmm. come yeah. visit me in Las Vegas. They get gift bags, free hotel rooms. Everyone's happy. And oh, by the way, 20, 30 grand towards this charity. Yeah. That's, that's to me, it's like that it, way less time, way more effective. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it's a dream for sure. Yeah. Um, we've had a lot of people on our podcast and it seems like the recurring topic of when we ask what's one thing you wish you knew or what's one thing that has led to your success to date and it's it's a lot of time management. Yes. And people really don't understand, new entrepreneurs really don't understand the importance of time management yes. and doing things quickly but also efficiently mm -hmm. and having a calendar and a schedule and a checklist essentially. Well, learn to say no. I mean, I, think, I definitely yeah. think that's the, that's the thing that they're missing is that they, somebody else needs to do it. By the way, if you have a, a, a cool, it's not the case for in all cases, but you imagine you've seen my events. Yeah. I, I get people asked to intern with me once a week. Like I, I have so much free labor that I can find. If you have a cool thing that you're doing, like you're doing it for, if, if you, if like an animal rescue or something like that, or you're doing something like some kind of cool photography or you're throwing a gala or whatever, you'd be surprised how many people will come help you for free. Yeah. I, I tell my, my guy friends that are older, you know, men in their fifties, whatever. I was like, you need to get a kid out of college who cannot get off his phone and he needs to run your social media. And you need to just tell them, hey, listen, man, I'll give you free tickets to everything we do. You just need to run our social. That's what I do. I have, a, I have an assistant who just runs my social media, does my videos, all this kind of stuff. And like they want the experience also, because as I am looking for a mentor, so are they. Right. So it just it just kind of works out that way. You'd be surprised if you ask how many people would be willing to come out there and help you for free because they're looking for an opportunity to learn from you. Right. I mean, you you probably I mean, you're listening to this podcast right now. You're already taking a couple steps in that direction. So it would probably be just easier for you to do that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, one of the clients that we helped launch their Kickstarter event quite a few years ago now, it was one of the first things that I did under my agency. Um, we secured a bunch of volunteer models and promoters to help push their launch event at Surrender Nightclub with Stevie Oki DJing. Yeah, I was probably um, there. <laughs> you probably I was there. probably there. Um, but yeah, it was really cool to get everybody running around in, in my client's gear to push their Kickstarter event and it was just amazing what type of community you can build too. It is. And I think that people don't, they, they have their businesses and they tend to kind of assume the worst or that you have to pay for everybody and they don't want to reach out and ask for help or try Shit, to build yes. the community. Yeah. And it's so important. So, so this is the rule that I kind of live by with anything that I do. Right. And I, I, I believe it was Elon Musk who said this, he said, you will be paid commiserate to the size of the problem that you solve. Mm -hmm. I, nope. Uh, my favorite nightclub that I've probably ever been to, uh, it's probably Surrender, but next to Surrender, it was Chaos this summer. I loved, uh, I loved Chaos. So yeah. much fun. I'm sitting there. I love Skrillex. He's my favorite DJ. And I'm watching Skrillex and I'm just having a great time. 
but it was like going to my friend's house who just bought a new Lamborghini and he can't even, he doesn't even have a job. Right. Yeah. He just, he like, he spent all this money on this stuff. And I'm like, you guys are going to go out of business. Like I know you're going to out of business. And the reason why is because if chaos didn't exist, would Skrillex still have a place to play? Would, would Cascade still have a place to play? Would Dead Mouse still have a place to play? Well, obviously, yeah, they were playing at the wind before. Yeah. What problem did chaos solve? It didn't solve any problem. I love the venue. I, I, again, I'm telling you, it was the most beautiful venue I've ever seen. It's great, but it didn't solve a problem. Right. Life over at SLS did not solve a problem. There was a, a, a and that, and I'm sorry to say this, and I, I hate to be a, a Debbie Downer, but that new resort world that they're opening up next to the wind, get ready to get your butt kicked for the first yeah. couple of years. These people think that they're just going to, they, they're going to hire people from the wind and, and MGM nightlife, and they're just going to take over the world. And it doesn't work that way. Right. What problem is it that, that you solve for me, uh, you guys, I just mentioned a bunch of charities. You guys probably didn't even know about Monday's dark is literally over there behind the Martin. And they do, they the, basically the guy goes on stage, Mark Chinook. He's the guy who does the, uh, sideline announcer for the golden Knights. You ever seen him, the Canadian guy. Mm -hmm. So he goes up there and he will keep drinking shots oh. with all of us. We all buy these $5 shots. He will keep drinking shots until they raise 10 grand. Oh. If they do not raise 10 grand, he will keep drinking shots. And I've seen him on the floor where he can oh. barely move. <laughs> singing and telling jokes until we raised ten thousand dollars for every single charity that's how he got to a million dollars that he that he raised right wow. you guys have never even heard of it so now i get a bunch of people to promote monday's dark the problem was like you guys wanted to help out a charity but you just didn't know about it mm -hmm. and so the problem that i solved was giving you information about a dog rescue or something for the homeless that you didn't know about now you know about and now i'm eat, i'm gonna even solve the problem even further i'm gonna give you a link where you can just donate easily mm -hmm. easily from your paypal or whatever five dollars ten dollars that's the problem that i solved does that make sense yeah. the guys who are running these charities what you'll find a, a lot of a lot of people who ask me specifically how to get into what i do as, as far as the charity work i tell them you live in oh, let's say you live in um spokane washington there's an SBCA chapter in Spokane, Washington. I guarantee you whoever's running that SBCA chapter doesn't even know how to open an Instagram account. Huh. They don't even know what they're doing, but you do. Mm -hmm. So help them. Don't, don't do the charity. I guarantee you they have a yearly fundraiser gala. You help them run that fundraiser gala. Don't ask for anything in return. You just, you take your expertise and you help them do that. And you'd be surprised like how quickly, uh, the, the thing for me is like, um, Again, I'm going to keep going more books. Uh, the Tipping Point by Malcolm Gladwell. They talk about mm -hmm. connectors. You remember the connectors, right? So that's what I want to be. I want to be the connector. I want to be the guy who in introduces the the executive to the, the this guy over here is looking for a new job. And what happens is, you, you remember Euclidean geometry, right? If A equals B and B equals C, then C equals A, right? Generally, that's, that's, that's what it means. So if I introduce super high status guy to other super high status guy, they both think I'm high status. Mm -hmm. That's just, just what happens, yeah. even though there's no reason to believe that, right? So as a network, worker I get that and then and then what happens for me is that I get invited to things that I have no business at being at I, I, I sometimes I get invited to things I'm like are you sure you want me to come bro are you sure me you want me to come like I can't even believe they invite me to some of these parties uh, or some of these uh, you know uh, charity events or whatever and I'm, I'm stunned and th that's the reason why is because somebody heard from somebody who heard from somebody when I introduced the right people together um, there's a guy he makes the jewelry for a Victoria's Secret. He's now doing it for Miss Universe. I don't know if you guys saw Miss Universe just uh, unveiled a $2 million crown that they're going to give to the winner this year in Atlanta. The guy who makes that, his name Pascal Mouad, uh, he runs Mouad, Mouad Jewelry. 
I introduced Pascal to the guy who runs my charity and like they just, it was a match made in heaven. He wanted a place to, to take some jewelry to give out to some of these influencers mm -hmm. and we needed a sponsor for our charity. It just worked out perfectly. So that's the kind of introductions I like to do to, 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 to grow the pie, if that makes any sense. Right. So the networking is just, a, uh, it's just another part of it, but the, it's not for everyone. Like I am on a scale of one to extroversion. I'm like a 15, like there's, there's, I'm the most extroverted person that I know. So it, it's different for different people. And man, when you get that caffeine in me, <laughs> I will not stop talking. We talk a lot about, um, the importance of networking mm -hmm. and how it can help grow your business because word of mouth, all those social media is huge and influencers yes. and the funnels and all this stuff is important. It's also really important to have that human connection, mm -hmm. which is very hard for people who are introverted. Um, like I tend to be mm -hmm. and artists that we've had on the podcast as well. So having someone that can be that networker and link people together. Definitely. Well, I, I'll tell you there's that th there's an additional problem that's coming up. And that is, uh, I, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but the, the growth curve for Facebook and Instagram is over. They yes. have, they yeah. have apexed, <laughs> yep. they have apexed. Uh, there is not going to be a YouTube same. There's not going to be another Jenna marbles. There's not gonna be another Dambles area. And there's not going to be another PewDiePie that's over yep. that they, those three, those companies have commoditized that growth curve. Mm -hmm. And now you have to pay for that level of growth. Yep. So what's happened before is, um, uh, you used to be able to go out there and put out good content. You have a hundred thousand followers easy. And, and now you can't. So it, the, the, the act of buying, uh, engagement on social media, specifically Instagram has just become just, I mean, cataclysmic. I cannot believe how many people, and the, the problem is that these people don't know if you want to do business with someone like me, mm. I'm just going to go on socialblade.com and I'm going to yeah. see that literally the days you bought all your followers yeah. and I'm like, oh, okay, so this engagement isn't real. Right. Um, I, I invite people to look at my social media and you'll see that all my engagement is real. And that's what I would you know like to do. But like, I can't, the, that ex exponential growth you were looking before, for before isn't there. Thing is, you need to focus on who your target audience is. And I'm sure you guys have said this a million times before. Yeah. Um, I don't care about the 30 or 40,000 people who follow me on Instagram. I care about the, the 800 who are going to come to my events and buy tickets. Exactly. So, and, and when you focus on that, then it just sort of works, right? Yeah. Because what's happened, unfortunately, is like the, a lot of these models, they have huge social media followings and the, there's nothing wrong with these people, but they, a lot of them live in Indonesia and India and China and uh, Tehran. And they, those people cannot come to these events or buy, they're not buying your product, yeah. right? Unless it's OnlyFans, and I, that's a that's a whole nother story. Yeah, <laughs> it's a whole nother. OnlyFans has changed the world. It, it's crazy, um, but yeah. So so the the growth that you're talking about, you used to be able to circumvent the fact that you were an introvert by just using social media. It's a little harder now. It's yeah. It's a little harder, and and you guys have. Um, you know, I still use Facebook, but uh, let's be real. Like they've been lying forever. <laughs> they, 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 if you think that there's even 1 billion active users on Facebook, you're out of your mind. Yeah. I don't, I think they're lying about their, um, their numbers by half is one of the reasons why their stock uh, got hit at some point last year is because they were lying about their earnings and they're trying to now turn that, that, that loss of revenue. They're trying to squeeze that out of Instagram. Yeah. And so if you guys go to your Instagram, you'll notice that you have to pay for that engagement that you were getting for free before. Does that yeah, make sense? It's, it's hurt my clients. Yeah. It, it's, it's really bad. It's nuts. Yeah. It's absolutely nuts. And, and then it's like, okay, let's jump to these other platforms, but some of the other platforms don't have the target demographic yet. Like TikTok's yep. amazing. I had someone reach out to me today. This girl went viral on TikTok. She reached 1.9 million people, but then her next videos are 
are flat and they don't understand the TikTok yeah, algorithm. Yeah, because they, yeah, the, the algorithm, they don't understand the TikTok algorithm. Then I had a video the other day get 4 million views and I'm yeah. like, what, what, when the world is going on? Right. I'll tell you, this is the best way for those of you out listening who don't understand YouTube and what we're talking about. Let me explain it to you. I did an interview with Paris Hilton. It is actually me and I am sitting next to Paris Hilton. There is, it is irrefutable visual proof. When you watch the video, there is me and there is Paris Hilton. Okay. It's, it's, it's there. It's in the cover photo. If you go look at, if you even type my name in Paris Hilton, a bunch of other videos where people are talking about Paris Hilton, but she's not in the video. Uh, they show up with hundreds of thousands of views, yeah. but my video with me actually with her, mm. I, I like 10,000 views, like nothing, like nobody cares. Like right. YouTube is not aware or able to verify the validity of what you're saying. Right. So you write capital letters, stunned, shocked, like controversy in your, in your um, title. And then you have some attention grabbing uh, cover photo. And then now uh, YouTube is becoming less and less relevant because they're allowing that type of media to win over actual you know, media because no one can check. No one knows. I mean, I don't blame YouTube for not being able to do it, but like it was a very big lesson for me. And then the other thing is I, I've, I release videos on, um, Babes in Toyland all the time. And some of them get 10,000 views. Some of them get 30,000 views. And then I had one that just got 3 million views out of nowhere. And it's just the randomness of it. It's just crazy. Uh, and there's just no way to, to, there's no way to be able to tell. So the thing is you got to focus on your audience because even though that th there were 3 million people watching that video, I I'll give you an example. My friend, uh, Lindsay Pella, she has 9 million followers and she, sometimes she posts me on her IG uh, and I'll get like 10 new uh, followers. And it's because the people who are looking for her are not looking for me. Right. right? It's, it's, it's not that, I mean, I, I really appreciate when she does that, but the point is like, you need to focus on the ones who are actually going to click by mm -hmm. and you can't worry about all the other ones. You can't worry about that big number. You can't worry about the, the 27 million people that are following Dambles area. Don't worry about that. You need to worry about the ones for you that are going to click by. I have some of the most successful people I know. Uh, they don't have that many followers and they make a ton of money, uh, on Instagram or whatever it is that they're selling. Uh, and I would, I would personally recommend not going out and buying fake engagement. Although, listen, I've had, I've, I've talked to some people who have given some pretty good arguments. They're like, it's just FOMO, man. When they see, when you, when you go in there and, and they meet you and they see you have 200,000 followers, they're like more likely to follow you. Maybe mm -hmm. it's like some psychological yeah. thing to it. Um, the other thing that Instagram is doing that's just disgusting to me is that how many people I know who their whole, their whole thing is completely fake and they get blue check marks. Yeah. I, in fact, it's gotten to the point now, whenever I see a blue check mark, I just think this guy just bought followers. Like that's, <laughs> I don't even, I don't see any validity in it at all. Uh, Twitter did a way better job of screening okay. the people that they were going after. Instagram, like people would just get themselves into news articles just so they could get a blue check mark. And Instagram was like, okay, I'll just give it to you. Or they yeah. would pay somebody. They would pay some agent. And I just, uh, uh, like, I'm sure you guys have many discussions about this. Just keep producing good content. The people will see the content, but it's just not going to be the growth that we saw in 2016. Just don't expect that level of growth. Yeah, it's, it's not realistic anymore. And it's really unfortunate that that's the case. Um, but for all of you guys listening again, Set your expectations. Um, the micro influencers are a great way yes. to, to get truly authentic people that yeah, are willing to buy. For if sure. it's your specific niche. Yeah, absolutely. So what one question that we always ask um, our guests towards the end of the show is what's one thing you wish you knew before you started? Um, so the, the three main things are mentors. So mentors would be the number one thing. Like find people who know how to do things better than you. And then just you have to. It's not just finding them. There's a level of humility to like you. 
uh, a great example. Whenever I meet new people that want to work with me, it's really strange. I take them out to shoot free throws. <laughs> Super odd. All of us can shoot free throws. Don't care how unathletic you think you are. Mm. And then I show them, this is how I want you to shoot free throws. And every time it's going to feel wrong to you the first time I show you. So here's the question. Are you going to do it the wrong, the way that feels wrong where the ball goes in the basket? Are you going to keep doing the way that feels right where you keep missing shots? Are you adaptable? Right, exactly. And it's, it's, it's IQ. I mean, basically that's what intelligent quotient is. It's, it's your ability to learn a new job. So I can watch there and I can see very quickly if they can follow how it is I, sh I teach them how to shoot free throws. Um, Oh, it's funny enough. I went on a date and did this and it was great. <laughs> this girl just, she hit every, she beat me playing horse actually. She never played basketball before. She's in, awesome, really smart. So the thing is, uh, th that's, that's the thing. When you find a mentor, are you going to, are you going to humble yourself enough to do exactly, not kind of what they say, not sort of what they say, exactly what they say for 10,000 attempts, 10,000 hours, 10,000 occurrences till you you've mastered it. And then you can do it the things your own way. Right. Mm -hmm. My, my hedge fund, there's actually the, the people who taught me, they taught me how to sell. This is going to sound like Latin to some people, but they told me how to sell 16 Delta calls and 16 Delta puts basically insurance co uh, contracts on both sides. And then they were closer to the money. So more expensive contracts. And then I decided, no, I want to go way out of the money. Mm -hmm. Right. Just imagine if you had a million dollar house and then the deductible was $900,000, right? You pay nothing for your insurance, but your insurer is like, I don't I have no risk at all. I'm just collecting money. If your insurer could do that 10 million times, he'd be a millionaire and he'd have like 90, he'd like 1% risk. Yeah. That's basically what I do. So I, I learned how, the way they taught me how to trade. And then I, I kind of changed it. I found a hedge fund manager named Karen Bruton and she taught me how to trade a, a different style. She lives in Nashville. W woman is incredible. She managed $300 million hedge fund. She, she, um, she donated almost all the money to grow pineapples in Africa. She goes out there to grow pineapples and it's incredible to like to feed people. She's an amazing woman. So, uh, the thing is uh, the mentors. So do the thing that they say 10,000 times, uh, and then learn it that way. The second thing, and this sounds nuts and I just don't know why more people aren't saying this is just learn to listen to things at triple speed, double speed, whatever, and, and do it. So every moment, like I don't, I'm sorry, I don't listen to music anymore. I just don't. I'm not even in the gym. Every moment I am in the gym, every moment I am eating food, every moment I am in the car, I am listening to a podcast or an audiobook that is going to help me further my goals. Love it. Like the, no, with no exception. People like, I just bought those new AirPod Pros. They're incredible because they get noise canceling. Yeah, good to know. They're, I've been wanting to ask someone. Fantastic. You can't, you walk right up to me. You wouldn't be able to hear, I wouldn't be able to hear you. They're incredible. Okay. Again, every moment eating food, every moment in the gym, every moment in your car, you are listening to an audiobook or a podcast that is helping you in some way, period. No, no exception. Just stop listening to music. I know it's, it's hard at first. When you do that, the level of productivity, you found the little things like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm adopting another cat and I want to figure out the ways to get the cats to not, not hate each other. And there, I just listened to this book, this guy, he's like an expert on, on cats. And I just listened to this audiobook about him and I, I got through it in like a couple hours. And it, it likes little things like that, solving these problems. So that would be the second thing. Okay. Uh, and then the third thing uh, I would say is, is learning effective ways to lead. So when you're in the U S military, it's like, uh, the best way to describe being an officer in the U S military, what we all have in common is you're basically getting a master's degree in leadership, right? You're going, they keep sending you to additional education and in all those education things, it's how to effectively lead. And the problem is again, here I go. Another book, crucial conversations two books, Crucial Conversations, and the other one is called uh, Start With Why by Simon Sinek. So the, in, in Crucial Conversations, the problem that's happened, and unfortunately it's happened to people who are younger, this generation that's younger, is that they don't know how to confront people. 
uh, they think I, I've learned from being in the military how to speak loudly without insulting people. I don't want to insult you, but you need some criticism. I need you to stand here. I need you to do this. Right. Especially my videographers, they get real creative. They start running around <laughs> and filming all this. I was like, I need you to stand still and, and just get the shot in, in focus. Right. So you, when you read, um, when you read those books and also Jocko Willick's uh, extreme extreme ownership. When you read those books, you start to understand the difference between ineffective leadership and effective leadership. And when I say leadership, I also mean followership. You understand how to follow and how to lead and how to effectively communicate with people without them taking it personal or without them feeling like they don't have a way out or without embarrassing them. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was the third thing that was most effective for me in order to lead people is I learned how to give them constructive criticism without, uh, without insulting them. And as I've gotten older, I'm 42, I found that people that are under the age of 25, I have a, a much more difficult time doing that because this is like, if you guys want to write down one thing, I'm going to say from this whole thing, this is it. When you avoid confrontation, you create conflict. This is very difficult for people to understand. When you avoid confrontation, you create conflict. Mm -hmm. That uncomfortable conversation that you want to have with your spouse, your significant other, that you want to have with the people that you work with, that uncomfortable conversation that you keep avoiding, you're creating a conflict that you didn't know was there. You thought you were being a good person, you're being selfish, and you don't understand why you're being selfish. It doesn't make sense. But when you read Jocko Wellick's book and you understand, no, no, we're not two a husband and wife having a spat over where we went to dinner. We're in Ramadi. We're going to die because Hezbollah is coming to kill us. Like then, then you understand the severity of it now. Okay. Now what I'm telling you, I'm telling you this, and I'm not telling you this with emotion. If I say, I need you to be here. It's not, I need you to be here and I hate you. I need you to be here and blah, blah, blah. There is no other context to what I'm saying other than the words that I'm saying. Please don't get offended by it, but I, we don't have time to do that. I need effective communication between me and the people I work for and the people that I work under. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that was the third thing. So again, the first thing, I, like I said, find mentors. The second thing is to learn how to consume media quickly. Learn how to consume effective media quickly. And then and number three is learn the difference between effective and ineffective leadership. Uh, Jocko, anything by Jocko Willick, I would, I would recommend. And then, like I said, um, uh, Crucial Conversations is another great book. You have to, you like a lot of times when I deal with people, I'm not very sensitive. There's literally nothing anyone can say to offend me. <laughs> Right. I'm, I'm just maybe because I'm 42 and I fought in two wars. There's nothing you could you can make fun of my race, religion, whatever. I'm just going to laugh. I don't care at all. Um, there's nothing you can say to offend me. But I understand there's a generation of people that are very different than I am. And I and I have to be respectful of that. So for I have to figure out a way to be an effective leader to them without without bogging things down. So those, those, those three things would be definitely be the things that I wish I knew 20 years ago. Love it. I love it. That yeah. last one really hits a note mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. for a lot of people. And I think there's, let me reiterate this like 10,000 times, even mm. though he already did. It's so, so important to have that mm. because having a relationship with people that actually stick around as your team is so important. You're going to yeah. have really high turnover rates if you can't communicate. Yes, it, it definitely is a ability to communicate. I've had people where I, they take me to the office and you can just tell they're annoyed and they think you think they're annoyed at you. No, yeah. but I just like, I, I can't tell everyone under the age of 25 to have thicker skin. It, it's just not going to work. No, We're just, they're just born differently. Everything's different. Like I didn't grow up with a cell phone. Uh, I got a cell phone when I was 23. It was very different. Uh, I had a father who was a strong father figure until I was 29 years old. If I, had I lost my father when I was 10, it would have been a very different experience for me. Right. So, and I, and I was around, I was in the U S military for seven years. So I was around a bunch of people that were like, you need to do what we say. Mm -hmm. None of this is personal. You need to do your job or you're in deep shit. Yeah. So you do your job. And so when you do that, like I don't, I have no problem. I understand there's a lot of people with ADD. I don't have ADD, but I understand that some people do and that like it's very different the way you have to communicate with different people of, of different generations. And 
the thing is to be able to do that without offending anybody uh, and to be able to like clearly give them guidance every single time. Mm -hmm. I have to remind myself every single time I have a checklist before every event, what I have to tell my videographers, do this, do not do this, you know, and it's, it's the same, it's the same thing every time. So yeah, effective leadership is very important. Yeah. All right. So our last question for you yes. is what mug do you have in front of you since our podcasters can't see? This is very why easy. Did you choose this it? is a very easy one. I am a cat lover. Yes. So I, I have two rehomed cats right now. I've had six that I've rescued uh, over the years, uh, over the last 25 years, I guess. I love cats. Uh, I travel a lot. It's, it's, I, I live in a high rise. Um, I think it's, it's not fair for me to have a dog and live in a high rise. Mm. Uh, for them to have to wait on me or whatever. If I had a big home, then I'd, prob I'd probably have a dog. I do help rescue dogs. I do charity events for animal rescue. I, I just find that, I, I, this is part of the reason why, so it's gonna sound really strange, but because I do these events with these models, a lot of people don't wanna work with us. It's really it's really odd. Yeah, you'd yeah. be surprised. Yeah, sometimes, um, I'm not gonna say which charities, but some charities just don't wanna be associated with, like, even though this girl helped me raise $100 million, she's a Playboy model, and they don't wanna be affiliated with that. Oh. Got it? Right, yeah. so that, that happens, like, even though this, uh, this girl helped me, you know, she spread the word and like literally there's a tangible benefit to her being at this event. They yeah. don't want her there, wow. right? The okay. ones that never have a problem with it though are Animal Rescue. They don't yeah. care at all. Animal Rescue and, and anything for the troops. They couldn't care less. They don't care if I have like 16 porn stars show up. They couldn't care <laughs> less. They don't care at all. There's no judgment. So for them, that the Animal Rescue charity is also really easy. And for, for, for whatever reason, whenever I invite people to that, they always show up. Like that's the... If I was like, hey, man, we're going to do this thing for, you know, puppies or whatever. It's like cheating. It's like cheating. Everyone shows up. Right? When I try to get people to show up for other uh, events, it, it's it's effective. But for that specific one. But I love cats, man. I just, um, I know some people like dogs better than cats. And I like dogs a lot. It's just, I think a lot of people don't understand cats. How they yes. want to communicate with you. Uh, and how they, they show affection a different way. But the, the other thing is like dogs were domesticated from gray wolves 50,000 years ago and cats were domesticated about 9,000 years ago, 10,000 years ago, and they're not domesticated. They'll never be domesticated. Cats are, car are, are um, uh, obligate carnivores. They, they can't, they're always gonna want meat. They're always gonna want to hunt. They're always gonna have these moments where they go crazy and then they start chasing <laughs> each other. They don't even know why they're doing it, right? So cats are a little different. They're never completely domesticated where mm -hmm. dogs are. And so people misunderstand because your dog is licking your face that he loves you and your cat doesn't. No, your yeah. cat is, your cat is different. Your cat, he, he operates different. I try to explain to people like this. When I look at my friends, I see a shape, a face, eye colors, uh, facial shape, the sound of their voice, all this kind of stuff. When your cat sees you, you are a three-dimensional smell to your cat. Mm -hmm. If you ever had a, like a small cat, they're, they're afraid, they don't know who you are, and then you come pet them, they're like, oh, I smell you, I remember who you are, and they like you. Dogs are a little different, but cats, you're a three-dimensional smell to them. Just imagine if you saw the world through smells, you vision the world through smells. So when you understand that, and then you kind of understand how cats work, then it's a little bit different. And then once, once, once you have a cat that really, really trusts you, it's like nothing else that, that you've ever had before. It's That's great. That's me. I'm a cat person. Yes. <laughs> I have Spectra at home. She's a little white rag doll with blue eyes. Yeah. She's my baby. Yeah. I just got uh, uh, Sheba. She's a, a Lynx point. I'd never seen her before. I just took her. I like somebody told me they needed a, a cat, uh, a home for a cat, took her. She hid under my bed for like a week. And then I finally got her out and I was like, Oh my God, this is beautiful. Most beautiful Lynx point with blue eyes I've ever seen. She's seven pounds. She's not getting any bigger. So she's tiny. But yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I'm getting a third one. Um, hopefully I don't destroy my apartment, but yeah, <laughs> that's my, that's my, that's my, I tell people straight up, like when they meet me, I'm like, I, you're going to come over to my place and I have a great view of the city. I live in Panorama Towers. And I was like, you're not going to see a lot of nice things. You're going to see a lot of cat things. Yeah. That's awesome. 
All right, so what can we leave our listeners with? Maybe your website or your social media, any of your charity handles? What do you want to leave So everything today? is at Michael Sartain. So at my Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter, this is another thing I tell. I, I do uh, this little uh, seminar I do for, for about social media. I'm like, your IG handle needs to be your name. Yes. It's like you're losing the, that little dollar sign and underscore that you're using to look cool. You're just losing, like nobody can find you. Yeah. So uh, everything is Michael Sartain. MichaelSartain.com on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, uh, a LinkedIn, a Snapchat, everything is one word, Michael Sartain, 14 letters. You should be able to find me. If you want the, any of the books that I just mentioned, if you go to michaelsartain.com forward slash books, you can find every book that I just mentioned. If you go on my YouTube channel, you can find every one of the, the, um, the charities that I just mentioned, you'll find like tons of links to them. The main one is babes in Toyland. Uh, that's the one that I do four times a year where hopefully we're going to do it five times a year. That's the biggest one I do. And then the one I'm going to do on December 19th, if anybody wants to buy tickets, they're like $500 for a plate, man. It's pretty expensive, but it's worth, worth it. it. It's worth <laughs> it. Cause you're sitting next to, um, an octagon. So you're having dinner in a tuxedo and there's an octagon. There's like, it's almost like, it's almost like the movie blood sport. It's crazy. Uh, those, are that's at the Taglian cultural complex and you can go to smashglobal.com and you can find out about that. Oh. Uh, and then, uh, the main one, I don't know how soon you guys are going to get this out, but on Monday, um, every other Monday, Monday's Dark here in Las Vegas sponsors a different charity. So 26 charities a year. Uh, it's run by Mark Chinook. I would highly recommend man, you guys come out to do that. It is the most fun you're going to have for $20 in Las Vegas. And like I said, they're just going to pass off $5 shots and they're going to keep doing the shots until they raise $10,000. And the guy will get, it's the funniest thing in the world to watch him up there just getting hammered until he raises the money for whatever the charity is. So I would highly recommend that you guys get involved with that. And here's the other thing, man. Like if you live in a busy city like Las Vegas or Los Angeles or, or Chicago or New York or whatever, you meet, you're going to meet a lot of psychopaths. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, just be real. Like you meet people who just want something for, for nothing and they just want to use you. When you spend, like I do, the majority of my social time I spend at charity events, I tend to avoid psychopaths. And I mean real psychopaths. I'm not I'm not using that as a pejorative. I mean clinical sociopaths. The way to avoid them, just if you go to something where you have to give, 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 people like that don't want to be there. Okay. They, they they have no patience to be around. Why do I get why do I care about rescuing these cats? They don't care about that. So I I want to be around people that are like that. I tend to sort my friends like to, to see how much they're willing to volunteer, how much they're willing to give. And so that's been a, a much better way for me to socialize. That's a great tip. Yeah. Really good tip. Well, thank you so much of for course. joining us today. It was such a pleasure having yes. you. Yes. Yeah, let me know.